The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. He's been on the job for just over four months now and is quickly putting his stamp on the Edmonton Police Service. Uh, Chief Dale McPhee was sworn in on February 1st. And today I'm thrilled to welcome him to the 630 Chet Studios. Chief, nice to have you in. Oh, thanks, Jelena. It's uh, excellent and awesome to, to be here, and I thank you for the invite and look forward to chatting with you. <laughs> we have uh, the next hour kind of uh, um, put aside to kind of to talk with you and, and your plans and, and what uh, Edmonton has been like for you for the past four months and your plans for the future. We have been talking about the Raptors. Did you watch any of it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's pretty hard not to be uh, a resident of Canada and not get tied up in that. I've always kind of liked basketball myself, having daughters that played the sport, but uh, wow, uh, what a thing to sweep the nation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty exciting, and it's uh, it's unfortunate, as you mentioned, there's some uh, potential uh, bad things going on, but, uh, you know, that is a large crowd, and uh, I'm pretty sure the Toronto Police Service will have all the resources that they need in place to, to deal with some of those things. I can't even imagine trying to do security for an event like that uh, right now. Um, it's been four and a half months. How's Edmonton been treating you? You know, excellent. I mean, first and foremost, the community has been... Uh, open arms to myself and, and my wife and my family. Um, you know, the police service has, has been excellent. Uh, it's uh, just a, it's a humbling experience, actually, to come into such a great organization and be able to, you know, look at things a little bit differently but and to be embraced by a community that's uh, also looking for some change and, you know, what are we going to do? Or how can we lead the change to make Edmonton a safer place? Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we're overdue for that. So mm-hmm. it's time to look at things a little differently. Um, so when you talk about making change and, and looking at doing things differently. What's jumping out at you immediately? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, <clears throat> first and foremost, you know, having spent the uh as a former police chief and then going into government and being a deputy minister for six and a half years, you get you get the opportunity to reverse engineer <laughs> what is actually driving your crime rate and driving the you know some of the safety components in your city. And I think the the things that uh, uh, come on early on is uh, you know there's basically two two streams that uh, drive the safety aspect or your calls for service or the safety. And one is the more serious crime, the serious violent offenders. You know those that are uh, responsible for multiple criminal contacts in the justice system. Them, you know, I think we're pretty good at that. Could we? We always want to be better, but then there's that whole social aspect. Uh, you know, the softer side. The you know the antisocial behavior <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know, some of the things that are uh, on the social aspect that disproportionately are driving crime when they're left unchecked and not dealt with at a, at an early opportunity. And for those ones, the criminal justice system is not going to solve. And uh, I think one of the things that told me that early on is when 92.7 percent of the Edmonton police calls for service are priority fours and five which are the less serious mm-hmm. calls. Uh, uh, we have some work to do in that area, and we're going to need some community partners and community help, and we're going to need to put, uh, obviously, uh, structure ourselves around how we drive that success. So I think there's huge, huge opportunities to do some of this stuff. You've been quoted as saying one of your main goals is keeping people who don't need to be in the justice system out of the justice system. So, you know, you've touched on that, yeah. and you talk about the partnership, but what more is needed? Like, do we, we need, you look at treatment facilities, Facilities. You look at better mental health care. There's so many different. It's like an onion. You're going to just be peeling it all back. It, it does, and and I think you know you, you need the treatment facilities you need to do. But I think first and foremost is you need the data to understand what it is you're trying to fix. And uh, I think too often what you see is uh, people jump to solutions before they actually understand what the actual mm. question is. 
us. So we uh, we have been spending some time with our data and some of our partners and uh, and looking at uh, how do we actually look at that data and how do you focus on the evidence or you know if how do you focus if you're running a business you would need to know what drives your work and once you know what drives your work you need to understand what you can do to actually make it better and I think that's what we're really focused on now. Um, if you look at an Edmonton Police Service perspective, we had a blanket statement we want to be the safest city in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yet when you actually look at the stats, you know we're we're third worst type thing. And so then I asked the question to some of our leadership team there, who are we going to catch? Mm. Like, and unless you're going to measure some of this stuff and know what you're going after, uh, you can get caught up trying to respond to everything. And sometimes you miss the things that most uh, you can have the biggest impact on. Chief, when you're talking about you know you you want to be the safest city and you find out that you're the second or third worst. Third worst, how do you, how are those numbers gleaned? How are they all come up with? And then is that everything from like petty crime all the way up to the most serious? Yeah, and it's a per thousand. So okay. I mean, it's trying to put apples to apples, yeah. right? Uh, and that's a stats can statistics. So, you know, you look at certain things that, you know, that stick out on a page is fail to complies, which are basically breach of probation stuff like we're three or four times higher than any other city mm-hmm. uh, on an apples to apples basis and I think the, you know some of that will be in how we record information so we need to look into that but also some of that's going to be is how we police or how we enforce uh, uh, some of those uh, particular aspects of our population and sometimes uh, being the police are the only door to door service uh, they don't have a lot of options but the criminal justice system and what we really need to find is how do we make first contact meaningful for police Uh, As police, we're not going to not go. That's Mm -hmm. just what we do. But what we need to do is make sure, as you said, uh, I call it to jail the people we're afraid of and not the ones we're mad at, Mm. which is we have to get some of our vulnerable people in a different stream other than the justice system. And uh, on the other side is those that disproportionately Mm -hmm. choose to break the law, those people that uh, are disrupting our community or violent in our community, you know, whether it's a firearms offense or just total wanton disregard for anything, we need to hold them accountable. Uh, the justice system is designed for that and uh, unfortunately it's not the same solution for mm-hmm, both. Mm-hmm. You talk about these social disorder calls, yeah. that's kind of what it is and you're saying a lot of the crime in this city being caused by these social issues. Well, I mean, if you look at the mental health, certainly mm-hmm. we see a high volume of mental health calls, but if you look at it from a from a drug perspective is uh, meth is, is the drug uh, that's disrupting crimes and uh, you know fentanyl uh, serious and uh, you know in a fentanyl overdose uh, it's an individual that chooses to use it that does harm to themselves and you know it affects their family uh, but on meth it's more it disrupts a community because it's you know you, you don't go to sleep for days uh, our car chases have a disproportionate mm-hmm. number of it some of the firearms offenses that we see so you shouldn't be responding to the drug you need to be responding to the individuals that are using it and uh, if you look at most of our usage of drugs it's more of a poly drug use and if you talk to our officials in health it's uh, it's a pathways in and it's not drug specific because there will always be a new drug meth's not new it's just cheap and it's uh, it's taking the place and it's disrupting our community but there'll be others you know what else comes back and uh, we just need to make sure that we're using our data to respond accordingly and not try to put everything in the same box yeah you talk about um, crystal meth and that being a real uh, real issue I mean I, 
was doing stories. I was doing series on crystal meth in 2004 uh, when I was at Global Edmonton, when it was kind of just really coming onto the scene. It was it was coming into things over the first couple of years. Seems to have kind of fallen out of the spotlight, let's say, over the past number of years. Certainly with with the uh, opioid issues that we've been having in this province. But um, you know, I even had some of your your um, your members in from the the drug teams not too long ago, and they said no, and the same thing, meth, meth, meth. Yeah. It's cheap, as you said. It lasts uh, the high lasts for for days, um, and it's it's a real problem. And I'm, I'm not sure that uh, most Edmontonians realize that. No, I, probably not, and and nor do they need to. They just need to understand it, and you know, those that are dealing with it need to ensure that it's a priority and that we're taking the steps. But as you said, it's cheap. There's people moving away from fentanyl because they think they can die from fentanyl. Well, they can die from meth too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know what it does is it it alters your state of mind and uh, uh, it deals with a whole other animal. You've got uh, people that probably are acting out in ways they wouldn't act out. They become violent. You know that's where you see some of the you know people doing things that uh, say that they wouldn't have done before. But the reality is they've chose to do it. We just need to make sure how we slow down the intake and make sure that the things that we're involved in are getting them out of the system. So it's it's a multi pronged approach. So getting them out of the system, um, but again, you're 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 needing to develop some much better partnerships with other community organizations and different levels of government to to do that, and that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what I've been doing for the last six and a half years in LA. And I mean, if you actually look at it, it's it's one taxpayer, mm-hmm. right? It's one fund, one pocket. And the reality is, is because there's no continuum. It's kind of like we built a house and we didn't wire it together. Mm-hmm. It's time to start wiring some of these. Uh, uh, the responses down and and I think there's an ultimate responsibility uh, that we're using the dollars for, for value and impact and mm-hmm. I think uh, the police are in a position to actually lead the change because we're the ones that can reverse engineer it. The fact is is we can't own the change because we can't change social change but we can get the partners to the table and make sure we're part of the solution and that we're working with uh, the individuals that we need to but I think we got to stop sorting it by who pays the bill and just look <laughs> at it by the tax or by the individual that's using and actually try some new things because ultimately what you're looking at now and what you're saying is failure is what we have so there's no real risk here uh, it's it's how do you actually reduce the need and how do you put it into an economic story because this is costing an absolute fortune. Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee joining me in studio this afternoon. Um, how is you you know policing you've been you know 26 30 year uh, career in policing but also you have that government side uh, as well because you serve what the Deputy Minister of Corrections and Policing in the Minister of Justice for the Saskatchewan uh, government. How does that benefit you in this role now as a police chief? Um, does it does it help when you're trying to develop those, those uh, building those bridges? Does it give you a better insight into maybe how things are done or what they're looking at? Well, I, I think it always does. I mean, you, you, you base your career on your experiences and, you know, your goal is to learn a little bit each time you go. Uh, it was funny, I was speaking at a, at a conference in Las Vegas and uh, it's at the CES conference, which is a huge conference, and one of the senior people from Amazon said, let me see this right you went to policing and you made some changes and then you went to government and you changed some data match legislation and you reverse engineered things and now you're coming back to policing because government was too slow and I, I, I kind of chuckled and I said I never thought of it that way but I, I'm going to use that. I think what I've learned going from a police chief to a deputy minister is we actually use data to reverse engineer everything gone bad or gone wrong 
And the key when you actually use that is to not make the same mistake twice. And how do you actually look at where the full force multipliers are? In other words, where can you make your biggest impact? So stop focusing on everything and focus on the five things that disproportionately drive calls for service. And when you look at the hubs and look at things that are happening across North America, it's very clear it's mental health and addictions, it's domestic violence, uh, you know, it's... um, it's uh, literacy, parenting, absenteeism mm-hmm. in schools. It's the employment under the economy, and it's trauma. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that, poverty's in all of those. Uh, but you know, we have a strategy in most cities across this country for all of those, and yet it's the same people in most strategies. So, it's to actually figure out the solutions through reverse engineering to help the people and then focus on the areas that where you can have your most value and your biggest impact. And I think that's what I've learned going to government. You can't do everything, but you sure in the heck need to make sure you're doing the ones where you can make your biggest impact. And I think that's something as police we can help lead, but we can't own it, but it's going to take a community and, and our business is going to change tenfold in the next five years and it's going to be artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and uh, machine learning it just so happens we have the third leading world mm-hmm. university in that space. We have uh, the Amy uh, group that's here, and nobody's really tapped into that to actually look at what we can do. And, you know, if you look at crime, crime's predictable. No, nothing really, really bad has happened that maybe 50 people haven't known about or 100 people, but there's no mechanism to actually get them to get their input and in actually how we can react to that. We wait for the call to come. We get them into the justice system and we tell them how we're going to fix it. And I know how I take that and I, I don't <laughs> think I should expect anybody else to take it any different. Let's talk a little bit more about that. We'll take a, we'll take a break here at 219 Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee joining me in studio this afternoon. A more with him on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Edmonton Police Chief Dale McPhee joining me in studio this afternoon. Wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the AI side of this, but just curious as we're going in there. <coughs> your your thoughts on, on leadership and what do you believe as a police chief, as a leader in in the in the police service in in the community? What makes a good leader? And what are your what are your tenets of this? Well, I mean, first of all, you got to understand what you're trying to lead, and I and, and you need to be able to create followership because I I've often said that a you know a leader leader without followers is just a man or a woman out for a long walk, right? <laughs> so so I think you obviously have to be uh, able to create some followership, but I think on the second time is you have to have a vision. You need to have a pretty good understanding of where you're going and you need to actually let people be part of that and let people help design it because and that's what I've been fortunate I've been pretty fortunate to be all over the world and some of the things that I've been involved in and speaking uh, and stuff and and I think that you know the first and foremost thing is the person that thinks they're a leader is one step from being extinct it's it's not something that you it, you can never stop learning mm-hmm. leadership is a learned skill and something that i always want to try to make myself better you're picking up nuggets from uh people uh you know and i used to teach us in the hockey world is too is uh, you know a leader isn't just picking your best player and say you're going to be a leader it's it's the leader's actually developing in his skills from former leaders and if if you're in a losing culture and a culture that did the same things you're developing everybody to be the same and I think leadership is giving your people experience on different things for instance some of my best experiences have come outside of policing in business you know in those hockey environments in those different things and I think uh, uh, in my role here is my job is to develop all my people differently so that some of their parts are greater than the individual parts and uh, and sometimes it means I just got to get out of the way uh, because 
because that's where the real innovation comes from and uh, and that's hard to do because uh, as you go through it uh, you know everybody becomes that well everybody says the A-type personality where they want to control it's not about control it's about empowerment and I think that's exactly what data does too is it, it gives you the ability to empower your people and actually understand what they're trying to fix and once they try and understand their fix they're like a dog with a bone and you just <laughs> turn them loose uh, so many I have so many questions for you you've mentioned hockey a couple of times now now for those who don't know you have uh, a long history in, in yeah. hockey as a as a player and uh, past president. Are you still the current director? I'm still a director of the of uh, the PA Raiders, which yeah. won this year, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, won the Western Hockey yeah. League. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, we didn't do as well in the World <laughs> Cup. The Western Hockey League teams aren't doing very well here the last four years. And again, there's got to be a story as to why yeah. it just hasn't been it just hasn't been looked into the right uh, right way. What what was it that that made you want to become a police officer you know uh back in the day it was doing something different every day a chance to give back to your community help to uh you know uh working with the community and then as i got into business uh uh and doing some things on my the other side of my life it was one of my mentors who was a business guy and he said to me you know you're struggling and thinking you might want to get out of policing and uh, i said yeah because i think uh, honestly you could probably make more money in the private sector and he <laughs> says to me he says you know what you can do both it's uh but no person on the other side and these are some of the friends and some of the uh, people i grew up with can make an impact on a community like you can as the police chief and and, and it resonated with me and it's not about me it's not about uh you know it's about the uh what you can actually do with your position and some of the thoughts and some of the ideas you have to actually empower a community to be better off and and then you back to the leadership my simple rule in leadership is to leave the team a little better off than if you weren't there and uh i have a pretty good group it's uh, I, I joke about it and i've said it to my people in the Edmonton police service i have an all-star team of government i i did transformational change for the government of saskatchewan as a deputy minister and i have an all-star team but you know i maybe just don't have them in the right seats right mm. now and that, that's the opportunity and and that's to let them know that every their, their individual skills are as important as what we train them to be as police officers your um your approach your 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 willingness to come in sit down and talk for an hour your your willingness to to be out uh, in the community be out and be involved there was an article recently and i just need to try and find it um it, it was a newspaper article it says picture it dale mcphee out in sweatpants skating with inner city kids uh, mcphee spending three hours on a saturday morning talking about garage break-ins in ward 10 community late le- in community leagues mcphee attending every reach edmonton crime prevention meeting showing up in person even for a topic as much mundane as planning a 10th anniversary celebration. He's gaining a reputation for being constantly present in the community and now it's starting to be clear why because he's searching for leaders. That's exactly what I do. I hunt talent. You're bang on and that's been noted by lots and it's what I did in government. It's what I've done in business, even when we looked at the Prince Albert Raiders and I was president, we had to figure out what it actually was to build a successful team and what were the key ingredients. And then once you actually can figure that out, you go and you find the talent. And uh, that talent uh, is also something you can develop as well. So it's not only are you looking for people. Uh, I called it uh, when we did this in the First Nations community in Saskatchewan. I was pretty fortunate when I got sworn in here. Two of the First Nation uh, mm-hmm. tribal chiefs came in to, to my swearing in. And, you know, joking because I'm Métis, I can say this. I said to them, I said, listen, I want uh, uh, eight uh, 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 First Nations leaders that I can go to war with. And I don't mean war in a bad way. Mm -hmm. I mean war that we can actually deal with the social issues. I said, you guys know the community. Introduce me to them. 
let's make part of the solution and let's figure out what we can collectively do together. And, and, and the pact that we had is we got to stop criticizing each other. That stuff doesn't work. That's just ridiculous. That's that's old, and I, I call it problem solvers. I much want problem solvers on my team than I want problem identifiers because problem identifiers, we got lots of them. And as soon as they stop identifying the problem, they have to own the solution, and that's a little bit harder. So, so that's exactly what the big approach has been for me and has been successful in several different aspects is, is to you know build a team that's second to none, that's committed to their community and making a difference. And that leadership or that consortium of the willing I cause isn't just building people in my organization. I need to understand who the key influencers outside of my scope are so we can actually put something together that's bigger than all of us. More with uh, Police Chief Dale McPhee. Edmonton's new police chief, Dale McPhee, joining us in studio this afternoon. We have him for another half an hour before we'll set him free. Um, and we appreciate your time. Really uh, love having you in uh, doing doing this this afternoon. We did. I did mention we wanted to get to the AI stuff. Yeah. Um, and Edmonton, we've talked about it on this show quite a bit, about it becoming a real hub for AI. And actually, my show tomorrow is on the road at Nate, doing a lot of the stuff, focusing on uh, a lot of this and the work that they're doing there. Explain to folks... Um, um, who are listening about how you believe AI can help uh, um, yeah. sure, policing. I, sure, I can, I can give you a few examples and some of the ones that we've actually worked on. And uh, before I start that, first of all, I want to say thank you to you too, because this works both ways. I, I appreciate you uh, just being able to have a conversation. Uh, second part is, uh, I was just in Washington about two weeks ago speaking at uh, the French Embassy, and it, was, uh, it had uh, French tech and uh, French government and it had the U.S. Uh, Congress, some of the old Congress and some of the uh, U.S. tech sector and about 125 people and I think they must have had my number by accident because I was <laughs> the only Canadian on the list but uh, it was about that. It was about smart government, smart cities, smart mm-hmm. law enforcement and how those things interact and and so, so some examples of what uh, AI could do or, or might be able to do in the future is, um, you know, when we were in Saskatchewan, we we built a we built a lab. Uh, it was funded by the Department of Defense, and they gave a million dollars. And one of the first things we looked at was missing kids, and and so what does it tell you? You know, when you throw the data of the police services, uh, yeah, and you throw the data of the ministry and, and the University of Saskatchewan, in, and you want to obviously stop missing kids, right? Uh-huh. So a really good uh-huh. thing. So that the the first tranche of the data is it it tells you uh, the longer a kid is missing, the more apt they are to be in harm's way. Well, we didn't need a lab. Common sense might have got us there, you know. (laughs) But then when you actually start to load social services data in and you look at risk factors, you can predict the next tranche of kids for 80 90% accuracy. So now it's not a police response. It's how do we as a community get those kids and what is it the vulnerable risk and how do you alleviate that? And then all of a sudden you're on to Mm -hmm. game changer, right? So then one another one to uh, just talk about it on a challenge perspective on how you use data to look at differently. Uh, we used uh, something in, the, in, in the, when it was the Bushy Stanley mm-hmm. thing in the battle. So I was a senior deputy on that. And, you know, you have two things there. You have the whole racial tensions, mm-hmm. and, you know, rightfully wrong. So, but on the other side of that is you have a, a property crime that was plaguing uh, a particular rural part of, uh, uh, of our province. And so if you can just separate those and, and define the question, how do you avoid face-to-face contact in, in, uh, with property crime in a, in a rural or remote or any area, really? 
and they threw a challenge out to the tech sector and, uh, you know, 13 submissions with innovation uh, from the province, the innovation uh, group from the province. And what you basically come up with is uh, is a solution that, you know, uh, for 50 bucks or, you know, in that ballpark, you could build a device that you could put on things of value as, uh, you know, your tractor, your truck mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And uh, if it moved, it sent you a text. And if it wasn't you, you activate GPS and you send it in real time and you find your property <laughs> in real time. So the sky's the limit on how you can use this stuff. I mean, you look at us, we have a historical uh, uh, um, crime section That's that right. we work full-time, le- looking for leads uh, all the time. What happens if we loaded that into machine learning or artificial hmm. intelligence? You always will need people to follow up, but why are we not using that and some of these things that are absolutely not allowing us to find solutions? Because, you know, we always look at it from a people perspective. If the if the machine learning or the artificial intelligence can put us in a spot where we're a lot better off to understand what we're trying to fix, stop what we're trying to stop from happening, but and also solve it, then I think we change the game. And it's everybody looks at it as big brother down the road. But the big uh, value of artificial intelligence is upstream and how you actually get into stopping some of these streams from coming in. And it's not by accident that, you know, I, I as I said, tour around the world, it's not by accident the Chinese want to take over the space because if they own this, they feel like they control the world, right? And the U.S. isn't. Mm-hmm. used to be in seconds. So, you know, that's a whole other thing. But, I mean, artificial intelligence and machine learning for the good side of the equation and not getting it tied up in the bad side or, or the side, that the bleeding side, is a huge opportunity for us on the social aspect of our city. Have you... everybody's trying to do. Right have now. you always been forward-thinking like this? Or did, do, well, or did it come along? Yeah. yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, and I've been involved in some of this stuff for a long time. And, uh, you know, and uh, everybody says it's unusual for a police chief to talk like this mm-hmm. I maybe it is maybe it isn't but uh, it's refreshing <laughs> well I mean it, you know it's refreshing if we use it yeah. right but the point is is we don't always have to uh, think of it as a, as a big brother thing we got to think of this as we got a lot of kids that are vulnerable and coming from families that are vulnerable it's got bad outcomes for families mm-hmm. and, and you know we've got people that ultimately on the worst case scenario die and the second thing is, is we have some solutions and we're worried about treating that the same as sharing our banking information mm-hmm. some days. And every inquiry, inquest, and death inquest, for the most part, is just said we had to share information. And what a way for AI and machine learning to protect the citizens' uh, privacy, but still actually look at some solutions. I mean... A lot of work needs to be done in this area, but it shouldn't be something we fear. It should be something embraced, but we control. And I think it actually is a game changer. And it's coming whether we want it or not. It's so embrace it's the future. it. Yeah, so embrace it. You talked about sharing information, and uh, this has been a controversial item, certainly in the media, with the police service over the past number of years. Um, the policy of, of naming homicide victims. <laughs> That's coming tomorrow at the, or Thursday it, at the board. Is meeting, it so Thursday? You can't get me to release that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you had said that you 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 looked at it. You had people look at it, and you you <coughs> wanted to be you know fully informed and make a decision on it. And you're we're, looking we're, at changing that policy. Absolutely, and and uh, you know I mean it's the it's the balance of the of the need to know and the right to know, and but it's also you know taking into consideration that uh, uh, families of victims mm-hmm. are also victims, right? Our families. So I mean we got to take that into consideration, and we got to get something that's uh, I think a bit more proactive. And I think you'll you'll see that in the next few days uh, it's again it's 
it's trying to balance, but at the same time, you can't be afraid to make a decision that's in the best interest of the collective. And uh, I think, you know, we're going to, you know, we'll make some things and we'll, we'll look at it from that perspective. Um, your apology to the LGBTQ plus uh, community, what about a, a month ago? Um, in, incredibly uh, powerful. It was, it was moving. Um, and I think it, you know, started, and I'm sure that you're hoping this, is it's going to start to bridge that gap and and some of the the um the groups that you've put in place some of the teams that you've put in place there how this this is a big road still ahead i mean this was a start this yeah. wasn't a finish <laughs> and i mean that's what we set up for yeah. the heavy lifting is yet to be done what i didn't want and in, in no disrespect to any party or anything <clears throat> but we do all these things that studies and and all we end up with is an apology mm-hmm. An apology without action is nothing. That's it doesn't right. change a darn thing. And so we basically said up front that we need to apologize. You know, we're not apologizing for upholding the laws of the day because those are the laws of the day. But there's things that should have been different and weren't right. And I accept responsibility for that. But the real piece to this that I wanted is to work with the LGBTQ community on a path forward where we're in a better place than we Uh were yesterday and we will continue to get in a better place and you know we can lead the country in relation to that are there going to be some mistakes along the road you bet there are are there going to be some people that disagree you bet are there people that still you know want a pound of flesh you bet there will be but again back to the majority I think listening to the community and actually working with the community on the path forward gets us in a much better place and it actually feels like we've been heard and we've got something done you know other than just an apology an apology without action to me is 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 is, is not a good use of our time you had some great success um uh, the police service in, in in prince albert with diversity yeah. and that is also something for you that uh is you know uh front of mind where do we need to go in edmonton with the edmonton police service on that front well first of all i think uh from our recruiting perspective we're doing an outstanding job <coughs> i think our recruiting sector uh, I'm going to say at this point and make a bold statement that we're second to none. I look at our last class, I think we spoke eight languages, come from three provinces, four countries. Uh, we had people with master's degrees, degrees, real life experience that they were in business, some young people, you know, I think it was like 22 to 39 age range. So we're diversity. But I, I think what we need to clearly articulate Diversity isn't just gender. It mm-hmm. isn't just race. Diversity is both of those, but it's thinking. And, you know, I think if we use it as an inclusive diversity package and we never wane away from that and we make that part of the fundamental, and that's why it reports directly to me now because it's important. But, you know, we have to build it through our organization. It's something we always have to be aware of. And it's also something that it makes us stronger. And I think that's the key thing. If we really believe in diversity and we want to continue and we want to contribute to it, the first step we need to make is understanding the fact that it makes us stronger. And when you include thinking, it's, it's if you build all your leaders to be the same, you're going over the cliff together and unfortunately you're going to look back and wonder why you got there. Mm-hmm. But if you're building your leaders to challenge each other behind closed doors and come out united, then you're on to an innovative, uh, in this case, a police service that actually can help make our community better. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, a few more questions for Chief of Police, uh, Dale McPhee. I want to touch on uh, marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) You knew that was coming sooner or later. Uh, And uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, the police budget. Stick around more after this. Chief McPhee joining me in studio, and if you want to check it out, you can watch us live on uh, Facebook as well, the 630 Ched page, and uh, people liking what you're saying. 
Oh. I have to tell you that. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, marijuana, legalization of marijuana. Yeah. Um, I think there was... I, I'm not sure that there was um, as much fallout as maybe what was predicted. I wonder if some of it is because supply we're not seeing maybe as much out there. Your thoughts on legalization of, of marijuana and, and the impact it's had on policing in this community? You know, um, I think you're bang on. I don't think it's what some might have thought, but I think it's probably predictable back to what we're talking about using data and stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, the U.S., the first adopters were obviously hit the hardest as they went into other states it wasn't. Uh, my concern on it is still remains to be impaired drive. Uh It's not so much, uh, you know, that it's increased drastically. I think, you know, alcohol and and marijuana sometimes is probably used together. Uh, But the fact is, is we still don't have a mechanism to actually detect it that's effective. Uh, And, you know, it's just another thing out there that we have people uh, driving and it takes considerable time. And I think that's that that's my concern. As far as supply, no, it's not up to full supply, but some areas are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not too much uh, different. Um, But, you know, the edibles will pose some challenges because it's new. it's, It's new. And I mean, there's an attraction, and I mean, it's you know the the goal there is uh, kids, etc. But uh, you know, uh, it, it it's the law now, so we have to deal with it, and we have to make sure that we're ahead of it, and uh, you know, we have to make sure that we're using to deploy our resources. But I mean, if you look at it, and and if you look at what we going back to our other conversation, you have the city of Edmonton, you have pretty much Western Canada or or, or greater. And let's park the three drugs. There's fentanyl that's disrupting families and mm-hmm. individuals. There's marijuana. And, you know, as we said, it's going to... Uh, uh, I laugh and I joke, and, and I don't mean this anything other than a joke, but, you know, uh, pair driving is a concern and cheesy sales are a concern. And in the middle, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's math that's disproportionately yep. driving. And, and, and we still haven't figured out that most drug users of the ones that are, you know, disruptive or, or involved in activity or criminal or safety issues, and that's not all of them, but most of them are using all of those. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, as is, is one medical uh, uh, professional said just not long ago when we had stats cannon and how we could look at this phenomena, it's pathways. And in the, in the pathways, as he said, there's, there, there, there's the pathway of mental health, there's the pathway of chronic pain, there's the pathway of high risk of the vulnerable, and then there's pathway of high risk miscellaneous. And I think at some point in time, we got to stop chasing a drug and we got to... Uh, actually look at the pathways which are the individuals and I think we can probably have some unique success right off. It was interesting I was speaking recently uh, and uh, and I know this is a topic uh, at the federal government now is uh, somebody came up to and it was a camera which one he says well chief don't you think that we need to decriminalize all drugs and I said mm. I think we have some work to do before we start doing that. I mean, the reality is police have the ability not to charge anybody right now, and that's a form of decriminalization. But what we need before we need that is we need some treatment and we need some options that we can actually start to deal with some some folks. And uh, just decriminalizing with anything without those things in place is just going to magnify the problem. And, and that's science. We know that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it's the wrong solution mm-hmm. either. But we got to look at some other things because right now police have a lot of discretion that authority they control 100 percent of intake in the justice system if we can make the right decisions on first contact 
then we don't need the justice system and we need to make sure that we use all the technology at hand, all the ability to make those educated decisions and, uh, you know, with our partners uh, to start to sort intake in the justice system. And I guess in a way that is decriminalization, but what it's more importantly, it's socialization. It's actually starting to change their response. Four months, five, almost five months uh, on the job now, if I remember correctly, signed a five-year contract. Five-year contract, yeah. <laughs> you chuckle when you say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's a, she's going to be a bit of a project, but you know, I, and I say that uh, tongue-in-cheek because I think Edmonton is is in a really, really good spot to actually change the way the game is played, and and uh, it's because of the leadership we have in the community. You know, we have a smart cities uh, that the mm-hmm. mayor's leading, the open data stuff like that. I mean, those things just actually magnify and give you ability to do some things differently you've got a strong not-for-profit uh section here uh just that somebody's got to take the leadership to wire this stuff all together and and we got to go after it we got to take this stuff personal like why do we accept the fact that our crime rate and our safety ratings are off the chart and people when they're outside of our community don't talk favorably about us Mm -hmm. that's not acceptable i Mm -hmm. take that stuff personal and it's time that we take it personal but that doesn't mean law in our own hands that means that we got to try some different things so how will you measure success at the end of five years if we look at your crystal your your magic eight ball or the the, the crystal ball whatever it is what would it what would pop well, up what would it well, say well i think there's several things i think it's a, it's a, you know from a factor that people feel safer and are safer i think we got to start reducing the, the the intake into the into the criminal justice system which includes the social system so i mean when you look at it when we reverse engineered five ministries health social service education justice the advanced education university and employment are the economy we spend 82 to 85% of the budget and we need to make sure that we're turning things around that we're actually starting to reduce intake and we need to evaluate all of our off-ramps to make sure that they're working and what I mean by that an off-ramp could come in many aspects income assistance housing child welfare bail remand FASD it goes on all we measure right now is what we take into the system and nobody's measuring uh, what we can get out of the system and create independence. If we bat 345 in that range, we win a major <laughs> league batting title, as you know, and we save a lot of money and a lot of lives. And I think it's it's to use the artificial intelligence and the machine learning to change the way we do the business and that we become a, the smartest police service in Canada and not necessarily the fastest. And there's a difference. Well, you know, those response times, I tell you. <laughs> get going on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Chief, I want to thank you for this. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. I hope we can do this again thank sometime in the future. Thank you very much, Lynn. It's uh, much appreciated. I really enjoyed the talk and uh, I, you know, I, again, I'm humbled to be able to lead the Edmonton Police Service. I really thank the citizens of Edmonton for the warm welcome and uh, I just say we need all of their help uh, to actually right the ship here. Thank you for this.